We are a bit over halfway through Lent, and Bishop Caggiano is going to walk us through a sort of Lenten check-in on today's Let Me Be Frank. And then in the second segment, he'll talk about the new Apostolic Constitution Predicate Evangelium, plus some other news, including his plans for Holy Week. This is the Veritas Catholic Network. We are on your radio at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, and on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. Grab the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. Thank you to Foundations in Faith. Their support allows us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. St. John Paul II told young people, the church needs your youthful ideas in order to make the gospel of life penetrate the fabric of society. So, Foundations in Faith is inviting all Diocese of Bridgeport parishes to apply for parish support grants from the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. The St. John Paul II Fund focuses on young people and their ideas to elevate and invigorate their faith formation experience. There's just over a week left to apply online at www.foundationsinfaith.org. Applications are open until April 1st. Get your application in at www.foundationsinfaith.org. I just realized there's not a week left, okay. Uh, um, Let's see. So, Foundations in Faith is inviting all dioceses of Bridgeport parishes to apply for parish support grants from the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. The St. John Paul II Fund focuses on young people and their ideas to elevate and invigorate their faith formation experience. Today is the day. Apply online at www.foundationsinfaith.org. Applications are open until tomorrow, April 1st. Get your application in at www.foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, how are you doing, my friend, by the way? I'm doing great, Excellency. Buongiorno. So. Yeah, see, sí, certo. Uh, we should alert, we should do a little commercial. Yes. To alert our listeners about our gala. Yes, yeah. okay. All right, so let's start with that. Well, let's get the commercial done first. Okay. So on April 7th at Fairfield University at the Barone Center, we are having our first really big gala event for Veritas Catholic Network it is featuring the centerpiece of the event. It's going to be different from other galas because we're going to have a live studio audience of this show, Excellency, your show, with a special guest host, Liv Harrison, featuring music by uh, the members of the Restless Crew. They're uh, talented musicians, so they're going to have live music. And then um, Joe Pasillo from The Frontline with Joe and Joe is going to be the MC, And we're going to have... So that show, we're going to have cocktails and, and hors d'oeuvres and a silent auction, and it's going to be a fantastic time. So, Oh, without a doubt. It's, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. I, uh, you, you know, we met together in the office with Liv. Yes. She is so dynamic. <laughs> yeah. And she yes. is so funny. Yes. So just to come for that is worth it, I think. Yes. And it's going to be, it's going to be like our version of The Tonight Show. Music, exactly, MC. Right? That's right. Yep. <laughs> so I guess uh, um, the website where people can get information or tickets, it's pretty simple. It's veritascatholic.givesmart.com. And, uh, and there are still tickets available, so make sure you get yours today. Yeah, good, good. No, I invite everyone who can to come, not only to support Veritas, which is essential, but also because to celebrate our community, our, I call it, the podcast community that we formed. Like, I've, as I go around the diocese, I meet different people, and they comment on the podcast. And, you know, and, and it has affected their lives, please God, in a good way. Yes. But we've not met each other. Yeah. So it's a great way to get everybody together. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's a great okay. opportunity for folks to come and meet you, Mm-hmm. Um, they already, f- a lot of people, like you said, they feel like they've gotten to know you already, so they can meet mm-hmm. you in person. They can meet all of the hosts of all of our Veritas shows. So yeah. it'd be great. Tremendous. Tremendous. Thanks, okay. Excellency. So now, my pleasure. My pleasure. So what are we talking about? 
Yeah, I was thinking we are uh, four weeks into Lent now. We're more than halfway. And I heard a mm-hmm. priest say at Mass this past Sunday that he said, if you're not having a tough Lent, you might not be doing it right. I feel like I've definitely lost some pace here. So I thought maybe you could help lead us through like a little bit of a Lenten check-in. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's fascinating. I gave a talk at St. Philip's Church in Norwalk. And it was basically the same topic. That is, we're halfway through Lent. And the whole purpose of Lent is not like a Pelagian sort of, how can I make this as difficult as possible to prove that I love God? No, that's not the point. Yes. Right? It's all the spiritual preparation needed to encounter the cross of Jesus Christ. And to speak silently before the mystery of the Lord's death and his resurrection and allow it to inform our minds, our hearts, and our wills so that we can become the image of the crucified and risen Lord in the world. So in a sense, if you are experiencing, like for example, the things I said I would do in Lent, I've had mixed results, let's put it that way, mixed results. But needless to say, that's not an occasion, that's not the reason to say, okay, well, it's hopeless. No, of course not. This is, like you say, this is the reset button. Yes. But I would suggest to our listeners, let's reset the button if you need to, with your eyes fixed on the cross. Because when you sit before it, like I asked the good people of St. Philip's, what do you, what will you see? What, what do you expect to encounter? in the same moment when you and I together have been screaming crucify him in the gospel, (laughs) right? So in that sense, yeah, this is the perfect time to do that. And you know, we have the traditional practices, right? Of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We've spoken about that. So I don't think we need to go into those things in any great detail. But I think there are other ways to prepare, right? for, For the encounter with the cross. And one of them I'm going to suggest is that we, right now, pick up the passion narrative and in your prayer, begin to pray over it. But pray over it a few stanzas at a time. Don't read the whole thing. And use your religious imagination that as you pray over it, imagine yourself at that moment in the sequence of events that occurred. And what do you see? What do you feel? How would you respond? And what's the Lord speaking back to you? See, I personally, at this time of year, as I begin to do that, it's just such a powerful way to be be ready to enter into the moment of the mystery when we literally embrace our at Calvary on Good Friday. So I'm I'm, going to give you a pointed a poignant example of what I mean. When I went to the Holy Land the very first time, there were two moments of immense emotion for me. And they weren't at the, 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 the Basilica of the Nativity. They were not at the Holy Sepulcher. It was not at Calvary. All right? As interestingly as that is, as beautiful as they were, as movies as they were, they were two other events, two other moments the first, and they were both on the Via Crucis. The first was before it actually began, the prelude, which was my visit to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because the way it was structured, we arrived at dusk. Hmm. So when we entered into the garden, the, the darkness was growing around us. Even now, like, see, I'm getting goosebumps. I, I, I can feel it. I can feel it up and down my spine. It was, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how I even could describe it in words. It was, it, it was an experience of what was happening in the order of salvation, that the powers of darkness were gathering. And when the guide said to us that in the, in the olive trees that are in Gethsemane, there are a few 
that are older than 2,000 years. So they were the science sentinels that were there watching the Lord's agony. And of course, in the church of, of, of Gethsemane, there is a large stone, right, where tradition holds is where Jesus prayed. And literally, it would be less than, I don't know, 100 feet, 150 feet from, if you imagine the church to be gone, where those olive trees and where the Lord's passion, the beginning of his passion in Gethsemane, it was clearly visible. So they, they were poetically, if I could say, watching it quietly, almost kind of representing all of creation, waiting for the beginning of this great drama that would unfold. When, when the victory over sin and death would be offered not solely for humanity, but for the healing of all creation, right? There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And what's interesting is what touched me even more was that I was allowed to linger because they all went into church. So there were moments when I was there by myself. And I said to myself, I put myself in the body of Peter or James or John or the other apostles. And what would I have been seeing? What was I going to be feeling? You knew something dreadful was about to happen. And you would love to think that you were courageous and heroic, but I, you would feel a great fear and a great unknown and a great anxiety. And um, so there's a, a greater sympathy for the apostles in that moment who were sinful men like I am. And then the guide came out and he actually gave me a piece of one of the trees, a small little branch of one of the trees that is older than 2000. He gave it to me to keep. I only recently gave it away to a wonderful man who I consider to be a very good friend um, as a gift for his 80th birthday. See, so that, and then the other was we were doing the Via Crucis, right? So we were walking the streets of Jerusalem and Steve, in uh, uh, it, it was just like a random moment So let's paint the picture first to appreciate the moment. The cobblestones we walked on, the little streets. You've been to Jerusalem, correct? No, I've never been to the Holy Land. All right, then we have to go. We're going to yes. have a very tough pilgrimage, and yes. we're all going. Yes. We are all going, okay? Because on that street, these narrow streets where there is literally wall-to-wall -wall shops, which are really just like cubby holes is what they are, and they have covered almost like cloths. You know, you imagine in a, like an open air market, there is like this um, awning that's made of cloth that opens up in front of it. Well, they're so close together and then the street is so narrow that they actually kind of create a canopy. Oh, wow. <laughs> in some of the places. But, but these alleyways, these walls are older than the Lord's passion, okay? So there was once on that day other people sitting in them. And what struck me was as we were walking along, we were carrying a cross, probably a, a, a fraction of what the Lord would have carried, right? And these people were going about their business, trying to sell us stuff along the way, thinking that we were tourists. And what struck me was the exact same thing happened when the Lord walked the same street. Yeah. So the entire world around him took no notice. And what struck me was that would have been the greatest suffering not the being uh, stripped or beaten or even the crown of thorns as horrible and as painfully, physically painful that could be and was. But it's almost a psychological pain in his pure, in his humanity to be doing this 
and the rest of the world not giving a second notice, not caring, not even stopping, nothing, nothing. And it just struck me, right, how much the world has not changed. Yeah. Right? That the presence of the Lord in the world through you and me and through the works of charity and justice and peace, most of the world doesn't care. They don't even notice. I mean, even honestly, look at the catastrophe in Ukraine and the, the initial involvement and attention that people had to it is waning. It's beginning mm -hmm. to wane. You yeah. see it. Because yeah. the news doesn't start with it all the time. Sometimes it does. So, so that, so when you look at the passion, you pray over the passion, not just to receive a message, but put yourself into it. Put yourself into it. And use these weeks to relive the passion over and over again. And you could keep praying over them because you could change characters. Make yourself Peter. Make yourself Pontius Pilate. Make yourself Mary Magdalene. Make yourself Our Lady. Walk in her footsteps. And you'll experience the passion in so many different ways, all teaching you and me something spiritually profound that sometimes is conveyed in feeling and not in words. You want to reset Lent? Do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. isn't, isn't it amazing, Excellency, even for those of us in the church today, even for me in the, specifically, you know, it's like <laughs> the almighty and ever-living God created me out of love for me and then went through all of that for me and I just kind of go through my day and, and it should, that should smack me upside the head. I mm -hmm. mean, it's such an unbelievable gift. Mm -hmm. I need, mm -hmm. I need to go into uh, adoration now. I'll be right back. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no. but I mean, seriously. Right. There's a disharmony in the human heart from the fall. The original harmony of our bodies and spirits, our bodies and souls. Remember, we talk about the theology of the body, and what we really say is we are an ensouled body, and that I am who I am, body and soul, that is me. And in the original order of creation, there was perfect harmony there. And sin has created disharmony. Within the spirit and between the spirit and the body, and so our desires at times are ordered correctly, sometimes they are ordered incorrectly. That's where lust comes from, and jealousy, and envy, that's where they come from. And I tell you this because in the end, if our desires were ordered always correctly, and there was true harmony, then what you just said, we would have all the time. Mm. But we draw our attention in different directions, directions that have varying degrees of goodness attached to them and sometimes even to things that are disordered and evil because we, even with the grace of baptism, we are still fighting against the divisions that are the legacy of concupiscence in us. Yeah. So that is why discipleship is a lifetime project. It, it, it is this trying to, true, to create true harmony again with God and our neighbor and within ourselves. Yes. So that's why the cycle keeps repeating itself in the Paschal Mystery, our, this, because you may make progress and then you may regress. So same with me. Yeah. Every experience of Good Friday is going to be different, and Easter is different for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's why we need. So another, I went to a couple of masses this past weekend, but one of the other one of the priests at another one said um, he gave this homily on metanoia, this idea of ongoing conversion. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, may, may I share my homily? Yes, please. I call it the homily of the two trees, or the two bushes, because what's interesting is you have the glaring comparison on one hand of a bush that is green 
but literally on fire with the presence of God, the burning bush. And the fire does not consume it, but the fire is its life. And then you have the fig tree, beautiful, green, and dead. Yes. Producing no fruit. And what's the difference between the two? The ground. Because the first, Yahweh, God says to Moses, take your shoes off, for this is holy ground, which means this is life-giving ground. This is ground that allows that bush to be the vehicle for my presence. And the fig tree, the ground is hard and sterile. And what's the response of the gardener to the Lord? Let me tend the ground, and within a year see if it bears fruit. So what's the difference is what's the state of the ground in which you and I live? Are we pretty on the outside and dead on the inside? Or are we pretty or not pretty on the outside, but on fire with the presence of God? And Lent is all about gardening. Lent is all about tending the guard, the ground, so that when you go into the garden of the resurrection, you are ready to receive the gift. Isn't that neat? I mean, when you think about it in those terms, right? So besides prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, what's the best way to tend the ground when it's hard? Forgive me, blood, sweat, and tears. It's the moisture that breaks open the ground. So how much are you sacrificing? Blood. How much work are you going to do? Sweat. And how much are you going to cry in contrition? And then you'll finally discover in my life and yours that the ground begins to break open and the roots begin to, I'm going to say poetically, to start breathing again. And then the dew of the Holy Spirit, Eucharistic prayer too, the dew of the Holy Spirit comes and now suddenly we begin to bear fruit. awesome uh-huh. was the wood of the cross dead in one sense yes because it was once a tree tradition says it was a weeping willow but it bore great fruit right so from our perspective if you want to reset Lent my suggestion was my other suggestion would be Look at the ground that you and I are, are, are standing on. You know, look at my environment. Look at my behavior. Look at the things that I value. Look at the time and how I spend my time. And is the ground ready to receive the gifts of grace so I could bear fruit? That's the other thing I would suggest. Awesome. Uh this uh, this whole time i've also been thinking about the stations of the cross mm-hmm. because you know from right from uh, the the garden of gethsemane was not in the stations of the cross but no. it's it's no. the first sorrowful mystery and but then mm-hmm. all the other stuff so um and this is such a beautiful and powerful lenten practice the stations yes. mm-hmm. so uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder i don't know if this is a Dumb question. We said last week there's no dumb questions, so um, <laughs> so I'll just ask it. <laughs> is there is there one or a couple of the stations that kind of really? Oh, of course. Okay. Oh, that's an easy question. That's not dumb. I think that's I know easy. what you're gonna say. Of course, Jesus meets his mother. Yes, that's what I. <laughs> not for the suffering of the Lord, but for the suffering of Our Lady. Could you imagine? You read the Passion through the eyes of Our Lady? Who among us would not be furious, angry, revengeful, screaming out to the people around them? What is the matter with you people? Are you stupid, deaf, dumb, and blind? That my son offered you a message of hope, he cured your sick, he raised your dead, and this is what you do to him? Honestly. But she didn't respond that way, right? But still, 
You think of the, it, and we've talked about this in past years. I mean, one of the most beautiful cinematographic moments was when uh, in The Passion of the Christ, Jesus stumbles and he lifts up his cross and encounters his mother. And he says, see, I, I make all things new. Right? So in, in a sense, uh, and for me, it is the sharing of Christ's suffering by Our Lady in her own personal way that is so deeply poignant and so deeply human. And she did not have the benefit of being God as Christ was. Right? So the, that, and of course the other is Jesus laid in the tomb. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because in the Stations of the Cross written by St. Alphonsus Liguri, there's a line, and that's the version I use for the Stations in my private devotion. Okay? Because there's a line in that station that says that Jesus is laid in the tombs, and I'm paraphrasing now, laid there by his mother. So we have the image of the Pietà, which itself can break your heart. But then, in the religious imagination of St. Alphonsus, who ultimately sets Jesus in the tomb? I'm sure the men put him in, but it was his mother. Yeah. Before the, raw, the, the cloth would have been placed over his body, the other cloth over his face, and the tomb be closed. I mean... Talk about the, 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 the apex of the suffering there. It transcends even the moment of the Lord's physical death on the cross. Mm -hmm. Who can't be moved by that, honestly? Yeah. Arranging his cloths the way she probably did when he was a baby, arranging his cloths when he was laying Exactly. Down. Exactly. Exactly. Because there will be a, a new, a new life. There will be a, in a sense, um, a giving forth of a new life, a resurrected life. And she was at both. Right? At the conception to bring the life into the world and to the burial that would bring resurrected life into the world. I mean, j j we could talk about the passion narrative forever, literally, because those are the sort of insights that you gotta sit with it and you can't read through it like it, it, paragraphs on paragraphs, you gotta sit with it and just let the Holy Spirit kind of open our minds to the things that were going on there. Yes, mm -hmm. gosh, beautiful. Okay, thanks, Excellency. So uh, let's take a break now and, uh, and come back with uh, more of the conversation on the other side of the break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ct cemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450. 
and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, Excellency, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and just talk about some, I guess, news. Um, Mm -hmm. So, because I didn't realize, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but Pope Francis had been working on something for nine years on reforming the Curia. Mm -hmm. And so he just issued his apostolic constitution, Predicate Mm -hmm. Evangelium. So mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you about it, but I want to start by asking if you could explain why the Curia needed reforming. Well, well that's an inter- interesting question. <laughs> I, I think, well, let's imagine, let's take a step back. Okay. So the Curia is basically the Pope's household. The Secretary of State is, a, in a sense, his secretarial arm in his relations with the nations and his relation with the, you know, the diocese of the world. And then the rest of the organs, if I could call that, are, are there, they exist to help facilitate his ministry as the supreme pastor of the universal church. But the very fact that they are organs or their departments, let me use that word for now, the department of this mission for a global church, you could imagine how complicated that is. Yes. Right? You could also imagine how difficult it is to get people to serve in that ministry when they have to leave their native homes, their language, their family, their ministry to serve if they're clerics. And for lay people to leave their country, and otherwise there's only Italians who do it. Right. right. But the church is not just Italian. Right? So, so I think there will be periods in the cycles of the life of the Curia where there is a need to look at it and, and say, how could this mission, on behalf of the Holy Father, Peter in our midst, become more responsive and effective to the global church? And I think that's part of what animated Pope Francis's desire to do this. Now, one could look at what happened and say, well, you know, there are some changes, but there's not like a monumental change. But on the other hand, I think that opinion kind of masks some of the premises behind what motivated the changes that were made that I think could have much more lasting impact on the life of the church. So let me give you some examples. Okay. In the current iteration, it speaks of the discernment of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how in that discernment, those gifts of the Holy Spirit given to all the members of the church are called to serve the mission of the church, some in leadership. That's a marked difference from the premise of the curial iterations of the past, and not just John Paul's, but even in the past, where it was mostly seen as a clerical service to the Holy Father. One of the more fundamental changes here is that the Pope is inviting the gifts of the whole church in leadership. Which means, I think, as this begins to bear fruit in the years to come, you will have more and more lay people. Not just religious, but lay people, lay faithful, taking on prominent roles of leadership in the Vatican Curia, in the Roman Curia. Interesting. Including serving as prefects of what is now called a dicastery, when was before called a congregation. So you could conceivably have a laywoman or a layman as prefect of the dicastery of communication. Now, so people would say, okay, well, I mean, that's, you know, that's good, but is, is that really earth shattering? Well, in my mind, it's the fullest expression of who the church is because we're all baptized, we're all called to mission, and we all have gifts and talents. So if, it's, if there's a lay person, man or woman, 
whose gifts are, make that person best suited to serve the mission of the Pope in his communication, then why would we not use that person? But in the current iteration, it was not foreseen. In this, it is. And I don't believe in tokenism, and I don't believe in symbolic representation. Right. But I, because that's not helpful. Right. But on the other hand, I do believe that there are very competent lay people who can help in the mission of the church, in leadership. And wouldn't it be interesting then, if you have a dicastery that has a congregation, because that's where they're called congregations, there uh -huh. is, a, a, there is a, a, a congregation that meets, that guides the work of the congregation with the prefect as the chair, you could conceivably have a priest, a religious, or a layperson chair a congregation that could have members who are cardinals. That's an interesting dynamic. Uh, you couldn't, I mean, I guess technically it's uh, allowed now, but I mean, can you actually picture that for, say, the doctrine of the faith? No. No, no. Well, no. I think, I think in the end, certain of the dicasteries um, would almost inevitably and, you, and universally have a bishop or a cardinal prefect simply because the congregation of bishops would need a bishop. Right, yeah. The that congregation makes sense. for clergy would certainly need a cleric. Yes. Right? In doctrine of the faith, I think, you know, while theoretically a layperson, I presume, could run that, but I think there is, um, I do not think that is something we are going to see for a very long time. And not because there's a lack of competence in certain lay people, that's not my point, but there is, but there is also a function of the congregation, now dicastery, that's disciplinary. Yes. In the works of, of, of addressing the crimes of abuse that would involve clerics that I think would complicate it further if the person doing that were a lay person. Yes. There's an appropriateness. Right. Correct. Yeah. And there's a directness. Yes. That needs to be done there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think in the end, it's theoretically open to all, but I do not think practically it's open to, to all. Okay. Right? I, yeah. I, I love it. If it's, uh, Pope Francis is making it clear that um, evangelization is the primary mission of the church. And you can't argue with that, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, but what's interesting is it's listed first, but they're all equal. They are all considered equal, which is another change because in the former iteration, there was a hierarchy in the Curia, but now he sees them as equals, hmm. even though he gives prominence of the list to evangelization, but it's not considered more important than the others, which it makes it very interesting that communications then is equal to evangelization. Integral human development is equal to, the, mm. the charity is equal. And, and I like that insight because in any given moment, in any given circumstance, in any given diocese, you know, it's all part of the mission. But even as a bishop myself, there are moments where this, whatever the this is, let's say communication, takes on a greater prominence simply because of the need of the time right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Okay. So there's no need for, for that to go through someone, something else to be able to affect its mission. So you almost see it's like a, uh, you know, like when NATO meets and they meet at a semicircular table as equals. Well, that's principally what we're talking about. But they're equals, but, but, but some are more equal than others. Right, so when the president comes to NATO, which he's right, was going yes. to go, yep. uh, I mean, he's not at the end of the table. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but technically, they're all equal. Yes. Yep. Right. So it's so the same sort of intuition here. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that's 
that's probably, unless you have something else, that's probably enough inside baseball. <laughs> yeah, the only other thing I would say is I think um, no matter how the curia is structured, the basic recognition and that which the Pope has emphasized is that the action, the real action, doesn't occur in Rome. Except in the actual diocese of Rome's curia for the people of the city of Rome, which is at John Lateran. Right? The action of the church is in the local communities, in local dioceses, and in each diocese in local parishes. So the, the, the imagination, the religious imagination of Catholicism, even though we're a hierarchical structure and we are global in, in reach, nonetheless, the church, where it's most animated and most driven in mission, is on the local level. And I think this reinforces that. So yes. that was the only other point I wanted to make. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, great. Um, I guess uh, one other thing, one other piece of, I guess, current events or news that I wanted to touch on, because we kind of flew by it. We were so busy with, with all kinds of stuff. Well, on March 12th, mm -hmm. uh, we celebrated the 400th anniversary of the canonization of five saints. Um, mm -hmm. So there, uh, Isidore the Farmer, who I never had even heard of before, actually. Mm -hmm. um, Francis Xavier and, and Ignatius of Loyola, uh, mm -hmm. St. Teresa of Avila, and Philip Neri. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that is a Hall of Fame class. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting is that at least three of them were contemporaries. Hmm. So Neri, Xavier, and Ignatius. Yes. Okay. Now, so, yeah, and, and we've spoken about many of them already. We haven't really spoken much about Isidore, but I mean, but the, but the others, Teresa of Avila, in other podcasts, we've talked about them. But I have a question to ask, provoked by that. You ready? Yes. Okay. Why is it that one could say that saints occur, they come to prominence? in bunches. Yeah, I think it's because uh, in times of great crisis in history and the church, God raises up great saints to lead the way. Amen. A plus. <laughs> I absolutely agree. It's a visible affirmation of God's loving, caring providence for us when we need to see it the most. So look at the patristic era. We historically look back at the patristic era and almost whitewash what was a major time of upheaval and crisis. To paint the picture just a little bit clearer, when Constantine recognized the church, on one level, all right, in in three, whatever it is, I forget now, 313, 312, yeah. right? Uh, on one hand, he did us a great favor, formally ending persecution. On the other hand, he did us a great disservice because that's when the establishment pitfall came into play. Mm-hmm when there wasn't the personal cost to be a Christian, you became acceptable. So, and then eventually became part of the in-group. And the fervor and the power and the fire began to wane. When that became that, coupled with the theological controversies of who is this Jesus and how philosophy tried to define him in ways that, was not, that were not faithful to the biblical witness created chaos. So you had people like St. Cyril uh, of Jerusalem, Cyril of Alexandria, John Chrysostom, the Gregories, Basil the Great, and the list goes on and on and on, rose up in the church because of the dire need. Yes. Right? Leo the Great yeah. to, to guide the church forward. Same thing in the Reformation. So Ignatius and Francis, Xavier, and Philip Neri, and all that, 
they rose, and others, Robert Bellarmine, and there's so many others that, that rose, the founders yes. of, the, of, of the orders, Teresa of Avila, yes. John of the Cross, yes. right? in a time of other turmoil. So now my question is, in our modern age, which I think we could politely say is one of turmoil, the same thing is happening. Just look at Teresa of Calcutta mm -hmm. and JP2, mm -hmm. among others. Towering figures who emphasize different aspects of what's going to anchor the church. Right? So, Teresa, it's the works of charity. Get into the gutter and, and pick up the sick and the dying and take care of them because you did it for the least of my brothers and sisters. You did it for me. And when you die, you will be considered the mother of all India and the patron saint of charity. And even the most cynical, even the most cynical, and I forget the one gentleman's name who has made his life mission to try to discredit Teresa, has fallen on deaf ears because we know it's baloney. Yes. <laughs> even yep. the secular world knows it's baloney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then JP too, who was admired by people of religion, of course by Christians, people of religion, and even people of goodwill, right? Because that becomes like the, the light in the darkness that says, no, 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 there's a way forward here. Yes. Yep. Right? Yeah. Any others come to mind in our own age that kind of are towering figures? Uh, I mean, is Maximilian Kolbe too, too far away from us? No. No, because uh, the, the decay of, of Christianity in the West, some of its seeds came out of World War II. Yeah. They just came to blossom. And there's mm -hmm. Blessed Carlo Acutis. Right. He's right. one. There's Oscar Romero. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I, I can't remember, Excellency, if we did this, if we said this on the air or if we were just talking, but uh, in, in today's uh, climate of persecution in the church mm -hmm. now that we're in, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I said that I'm going to stick close to you because maybe one day it'll be Bishop Caggiano and companions, <laughs> and, and I'll be lumped into the companions there. <laughs> well, I, 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 well, if I were martyred, then it would give me great solace that I could get to heaven because <laughs> the traditional way, I'm gonna, it's going to take me a while. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take me a long while. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows that. But... Uh, but yeah, well, you know, I, I think of a person like Cardinal Von Tuan, right, in his imprisonment. We've talked about that story. It still brings tears to my eyes, right, with the little can in, where, in, where, in which he celebrated Mass, right, in a prison cell with no lights, by memory. But see, but that, those are the, those are the, that the saints that are rising in our age that is so confused and so challenged for the church and to say, yeah, this is how we move forward. I love, I love that our church celebrates the saints. I just love it. I mean, we are, mm -hmm. it's, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and mm -hmm. it's so, it's, ah, gosh, it's so edifying and comforting and empowering to have these, to know that these people are praying for us and they're on our side, they're cheering us on. And also, I think the stories are so real. The stories are so human and accessible because none of them were perfect. When you look at our Lord and our Lady, of course, our Lord is God made man, right? So he had no disharmony within him, the one I described before, none because he was perfect in, in his humanity and was God. And when you look at Our Lady, who was not God, not divine, despite what some people, you know, foolishly criticize us about, you know, that we worship Mary, which is baloney. Right. right? But she was sinless by the grace, right, that she received of her immaculate conception, which she cooperated with. So the disharmony I described didn't exist in her either. But for us it does. And every saint it did. 
So that, that's where the encouragement comes. There's an accessibility there that says, okay, I'm not sure I could be Mother Teresa, but I can do some of what she did in my road to everlasting life. Or as a cleric and a bishop, I mean, I pride myself that I always teach the truth. The older I get, the less I mince my words because I'm maturing myself in my faith. So in that sense, the saints are so accessible that they give encouragement to say, yeah, you, 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 this you can do. You can do this too. Yes. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, one more thing before we go. Got about four or five minutes. Um, the Holy Father released his schedule for Holy Week. Yes. And, um, uh, and gosh, he is... He's busy at his age. Uh, I mean, he, he, yeah, I mean, he's, holy week, yeah, he's, he's 85 and a half, right? So, yeah, I wanted to see, uh, do you yet know what your schedule is for Holy Week, Excellency? It, it's, it's coming together. Okay. I think, so Palm Sunday, I will be at St. Jude's in Monroe for early Mass, and I will be at St. Matthew's in Norwalk for the later morning Mass. Okay. And um, on Holy Thursday, the Chrism Mass is Holy Thursday morning. Um, this year, it will be at St. Teresa's. It will not be at the cathedral because the cathedral is doing a construction outside on the property. Mm -hmm. And then the Mass of the Lord's Supper will be at the cathedral. I will be at the cathedral. Mm -hmm. Good Friday, I will be at Assumption Parish in Fairfield for the Passion. And the Easter Vigil will be at the cathedral. Okay. Right. So that's what's set so far. Reconciliation Monday, Debbie's still working on that. And Easter Sunday, we're still working on that. But that's okay. what we have so far. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, it's, mm -hmm. so it change, your schedule changes every year. You're visiting different places every year. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'm very mindful of that too. I've, I've I've done more and more at the cathedral these last few few years, simply because while I think on one hand, to have the bishop come for let's say Holy Thursday night, I hope and pray would be received by the people as a sign of support. And but on the other hand, for the pastor, mm. these are one of the most beautiful moments of the year. And for the bishop to come and kind of step into that role and the pastor can't do it, I, I'm kind of mindful of that, that I'm not sure I, I want to do that too often. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's very humble of you. I'm sure the parish looks at it as very much a treat when, you get, when they get to have you. Oh. Yeah, but I want to keep the pastors happy. Too. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and and then uh, I assume you'll see your extended family. Uh, oh, without Easter. a doubt. Yeah. 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 Oh no no, without a doubt. Uh, I cook Easter. Yes. This year I'm cooking, and as I've said to you at Christmas, God God bless whoever invented Whole Foods because <laughs> they have lots of stuff that you could order and you just heat up, which is tremendous. Uh, but what we are eating is still being debated in the Caggiano House. Yeah. Can you can you let us in on a little? What, yeah. what are the options well, there? Well, there's a, a segment that wants lamb, mm -hmm. traditional. Yes. There's a segment that wants beef, like a filet mignon. Um, there's a, a very small minority that wants, believe it or not, ham. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will eat whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> I just want. <laughs> So my guess is, as a typical Caggiano, it's like we compromise by having both. There you go. <laughs> lamb and beef. That's what's going to happen. I'm almost certain that's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> okay. Right. And, and by doing that, we won't have pasta. Could you imagine? No, but it's too much. No, it's too much. No, it really is too much. <laughs> right. So then we'll have antipasto, which I love. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. For antipasto. Then we have what I just described. And then, I mean, the climax is the desserts. In the multiples. In the many. 
Struthfully? Because that's where the fun is. I'm sorry? Struthfully? Oh, oh God knows what it's going to be. Okay. That, that, that's a, a Holy Week decision. Okay. But last Easter, there were seven. Wow. Seven different... And they didn't last till the Friday of Easter. They're all gone. They're all consumed. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, yeah. And of course, if I had been more disciplined and attended more to trying to lose weight since Christmas, I would have availed myself... This year, I have to be more careful because I've been more negligent. (laughs) But again, I say that with hope, but I know what's going to happen. So (laughs) don't even bother. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Let's take a break and come back with a listener question, Excellency. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. This is Father Joseph and Lauren Doyle from Restless, that show for young adults on Veritas Catholic Network, and we've got some exciting news to share. Veritas Catholic Network is having its first big event in April called On Air with Veritas. At this event, Bishop Frank Caggiano will host a live audience for his show, Let Me Be Frank, where we can listen and watch the bishop in a fun and faith-filled format. It'll have live music and be hosted by Liv Harrison of It's Not That Late with Liv. Very exciting. It is exciting. Did you know that Bishop Frank's show, Let Me Be Frank, is in the top 25% of all podcasts downloaded in the U.S.? Indeed it is. It gets rave reviews and has listeners from all over the country tuning in to hear what he has to say. And after the Bishop's show, there's going to be cocktails, drinks, and appetizers for everyone and a chance to meet the Bishop, to meet all of Veritas's radio show hosts, and to mingle with friends. I really can't wait to be part of this event. It is going to be great. On Air with Veritas takes place on Thursday, April 7th from 5 to 9 p.m. at the Barone Campus Center at Fairfield University. Again, that's April 7th from 5 to 9 o'clock at the Barone Campus Center at Fairfield University. Tickets are limited, of course, so make sure to go online to www.veritascatholic.givesmart.com to get your tickets today. You're not going to want to miss this. All proceeds will go to Veritas Catholic Network, an independent 501c3 nonprofit organization to continue its mission of bringing faithful and entertaining programs to all of us in Fairfield County. More information is available on the website, so make sure to check it out and get your tickets at www.veritascatholic.givesmart.com. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, um, here's the question that came in this week. It says, it says, Bishop, first I'd like to thank you for putting on such a great show. I love it. I'm a huge fan. As for my question, I believe the Lord has allowed me to encounter more spiritual warfare lately, in particular as I near my wedding this summer. Do you have any advice for battle, especially for newlyweds? Okay. Thank you for the kind words about the podcast and congratulations on your wedding. What a blessing. Yeah. All right. My advice is do not give more credence to the forces of evil than they deserve. Part of how they wreak havoc is that they tempt us to believe that they have more power over us than they do. If you feel that you're in a struggle, it is because you're doing the right things, right? Otherwise, you would be defeated. And my advice, particularly for anyone, but particularly a couple that's getting married, is keep doing what you know is the right thing to do. And don't focus too much on what you experience, all right, in this presence in your life that's tempting you or guiding you the wrong the more you ignore it, the better off you are if you do what's right. Because giving them more credence actually gives them more hold over you. I don't know if that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it makes so sense. So that would be my advice. Just keep doing what you're doing and don't worry about that, that, that those, whatever presence, whatever tempting, just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Eventually, they will tire eventually they will leave. Yeah. Yeah. And this person is <clears throat> already aware of the fact that he or she is encountering more spiritual warfare. It means that they're already focused on... It, 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 they're on the right path. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. You can find Bishop Frank Caggiano on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and Veritas Catholic Network is there too. We would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, what a fun week this was. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. So let's pray, shall we? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit again. I invite everyone in their own places to recite with me the glory be. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, Steve, I will see you. Thanks, Excellency. Okay, all the best. Bye-bye.